Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. You are listening to the Self-Care is Healthcare segment with Dr. Marjorie Brewer. The Sickle Cell Community Consortium powers the Vitamin SC3 podcast. Each show will give you more insights into the real lives of sickle cell warriors and their families. You will learn why we are bonded by blood with shared life experiences. Remember, the information shared on the Vitamin SC3 podcast is for informational or educational purposes only and does not substitute professional medical advice or consultations with healthcare professionals. To become a member of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, visit SickleCellConsortium.org. The Sickle Cell Consortium is a collaborative designed a little bit like the United Nations in theory so that we can bring together many organizations for sickle cell throughout the country and now throughout the world, as well as um, independent patient caregiver leaders, opinion leaders, advocates, those that are active in this space. And our goal is, what we've always done, is bring our community together so that we can create projects, priorities, initiatives. We can figure out what are the problems, needs, and gaps in the sickle cell community, and then figure out how we're going to collectively address this. Hello, 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 community. How is everyone? Welcome to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. You're joining us for the self-care is healthcare track. And we are really diving into and focusing on mental health and wellness. And today I have the pleasure of having a wonderful conversation. Is it Dr. Michelle Berry? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, I want to put that in front of your name anyway, but um, because I know what you do is so important. But I have the pleasure of talking to Michelle Berry. And guys, I want to, um, you know, we have played around with our schedules for a while, and I'm so happy that we are able to land today as the day that we share this conversation with you during sickle cell months. And if it's aired during sickle cell month, that's, that's even better because mental health is part of your health and being well. And um, let me tell you a little bit about Michelle and why she's perfect for this conversation. So Michelle Berry is the owner of the Healing Center Atlanta and is a mental health therapist. Michelle believes people can rise above their current situations if surrounded by caring support systems. She meets people where they are and has helped clients shift from hopelessness to hopefulness. Families have discovered a renewed purpose in family. Couples have recharged their love and committed to one another. Individuals have been empowered Her focus is helping clients breathe. Again, you guys, you know how I'm all about breathing and breath work, which makes this conversation with Michelle perfect because we are on the same page. Um, And thus, breathe, breath, breathe, excuse me, more freely. She has partnered with individuals dealing with addictions, troubled by family disturbances, engaged in troubled relationships, general adult mental health and bereavement. Also, she has worked with clients experiencing domestic violence, domestic abuse, or various other traumas. In addition, she has worked with clients that have been diagnosed with functional neurological disorders 
and you guys, she's worked with individuals suffering with depression and PTSD. And the topic of today, she's also helped individuals with sickle cell disease. She employs her awareness and love of culture to draw from a holistic health perspective. And everyone in the community knows Dr. Dej is all about holistic health perspectives. Another reason why she is like awesome to have here today with us. Her years of experience is put to good use to assist clients in their healing by nurturing the mind, body, and spirit to live out their best lies. Amen to that. Welcome, 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 Michelle. So nice to have you. Thanks for having me. And yes, this has been a journey just to get here today. And so, yeah, and so you're right. I I find myself helping people to navigate through their pain, whether or not it's a physical pain or an emotional pain. And so probably quite appropriate for your audience. So yes, thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, um, and such a pleasure to have you. And so looking forward to our conversation because I know on many levels, it's gonna be healing for me too. <laughs> and um, I am a firm believer of having the right therapist and having the right match. So, so the title to our session is The Right Match. How to go about selecting the right therapist because as we know, in order to have the right relationship and partnership, just like it, we always say in the sickle cell community, you wanna have the right team around you. So the right providers as they relate to your hematologist and your primary care provider and that entire team. Well, it's just as important to be able to select the right therapist. So with that as our title, Michelle, tell us a little bit about how you started on this uh, journey for your career path, because it's so much more than just a therapist. I love this whole wellness theme that you have and really aligning the mind, the body, and the spirit. Yeah, so that, I think that's a good question. You know, I think often I ask people like, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Um, and oftentimes I say that we, end up doing the things that we have always been doing all of our lives. And one of the things that I realized that I um, was doing was being in spaces and places where I help, where I was helping and um, helping people to heal. Um, because before I started as a therapist, mental health therapist, I worked in the school system. I taught um, high school mathematics, um, and then I ended up here. So, you know, teaching is also helping, um, but, and then I worked in pharmaceutical sales. That was helping. I worked, mm -hmm. um, I worked in, I, I sold, um, I worked on, you know, with diabetic um, patients. So I always found myself in places and careers where I was helping but I think it went back to childhood. And, you know, when I thought about your question, I thought, you know, even as a child, I can remember being with my grandmother and she was always a person where I kind of remember that people came to her if they weren't feeling well or if they needed someone to talk to. So I think that nurturing came from her in places where, and, and, and because I felt like I was always around her, I, that was um, rooted in me at an early age. And I think as I grew older, grew, began uh, to become more exposed to what careers could look like, mm -hmm. um, counseling became one of those things that was 
on my radar. And I learned that about myself in my later years um, that listening to people and I learned that I learned about myself that I was a good listener. And that's what kind of guided me to this path of counseling. Um, and that's, I believe that's kind of how, you know, that journey just brought me to this place of, you know, doing this full time and more less of a part time thing, um, where it's something that I've always done, but then began to re really focus on what it took to get to that space of full time uh, work. I love that. I love that. And I, I totally agree with you. A lot of times when we think back, we did what we if, if we truly love what we're doing, there were signs of of that of the current career way back when in our childhood. And I love how you related that to um, your experience with your grandmother. So you were a listener and a healer and a giver way back when and now come full circle. And my mom is a teacher. So, yes, teachers are givers, givers. I did my share of teaching. Um, I worked in the hospital and we also share industry because I work in industry now. So we have a quite few things in common. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your path because I think that always helps our listeners know the person a little bit better and connect with the topic that we're about to talk about. Um, yeah. So let's jump into the mental health and wellness conversation. How have you felt that that's evolved? Because I think there's a lot of you know, it's always been important, but we've had to elevate that conversation. And I think the pandemic has raised it to a different forefront. How have you felt the past two, three years of what individuals have been going through just overall have elevated um, the mental health conversation? It certainly has elevated it. And what it has done is caused us to pause. And I think a lot of times what we don't uh, really identify in mental health is that we just move, 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 move. And we're moving away from the things that are signaling us, um, pricking us to say, slow down, slow down, listen to this a little more closely. Slow down, slow down. We're moving so fast that we're missing all of our signs and cues, right? And I right. think what has happened in the pandemic, what did happen in the pandemic, um, is that it has it caused us to pause. And that pause caused us to sit and listen to the things that we were moving and shifting away from, the things that we were needing in our life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I believe is the good that came out of it. Um, and then it, some for some, they reached to people or reached out to um, those things that will cause them to listen to the things that perhaps they were running from. Um, and, and it, and, and we, the con, the pro, the con is, um, that it gave social media, internet, we have had so much access to information. And I say, I hate to say it's good and bad because, you know, it's kind of like, is it fake news or is it news? So, right. Uh, <laughs> so right, <laughs> it's like good and bad. Yes, the sense that access is good. I think that people, when people can educate themselves, I think it's a good thing. I think the bad has come where with we think that we could take this information that we have found um, on social media, on the internet, and we think that we can do this work healing mm -hmm. ourselves on our own 
And that's the bad. Um, We cannot do these things on our own. We cannot heal ourselves on our own. These partnerships and these relationships are, therapy is about relationship, is about relational kind of things that help us to our, on our journey of healing. It's almost like you give him, you make a great, if you make a great peach cobbler, and I'm a storyteller, so I'm always- Wait a minute, did you know that that was my favorite dessert? How'd you know to say peach cobbler, girl? I did not. Oh my goodness, we are kindred spirits. I love, (laughs) oh my goodness, peach cobbler and red velvet cake. You can just, I can't say no to the two. Those are the only two sweets. life. Very good friend who makes a great cobbler. And what she tells me all the time, because I said, can you teach me how to make this? And that I can. So the first time she just gave me the recipe and I'm thinking like, you know, you have all of the ingredients, but if I I can't put it quite together, the same tastes like hers. Like she does, right? And that speaks to what you you were saying with these relationships and connections. I, I so just to share a story, I have a friend who makes the peach cobbler too. And every once in a while, I'll she's a friend from med school actually, and it just doesn't taste the same as when she makes it. But when I come to Atlanta, because I will be coming, mm-hmm. I'm gonna taste your friend's peach cobbler. We have a we have a dessert date. For sure. Well, this friend lives in Chicago, so that's. Oh, the- okay. So yeah. we're gonna be going to Chicago. It's, it's wherever we gotta go. I'm with you. <laughs> and she tells me, like it. She said it doesn't matter how many times I give you this recipe. You're not your your peach cobbler is not going to taste like mine. And for mm-hmm. me, it's kind of like therapy. I can read all of the things I need to read about how to heal you know, myself, and it's not going to be the same when, as if I was on a journey with someone who was, you know, good at making that peach cobbler, walking with me through this journey. So I guess what has evolved, um, what evolved from the pandemic is good that the people, people record, they paused long enough to understand that they needed to reach out. Yeah. The, the, the con was the fact that the information uh, uh, alluded that you can do this thing without a professional that could help you to put that peach cobbler together. Oh my God, everything you're saying resonates with me so much. So the, the first part about the pause. So when I teach breath work, and that is one of the tenets that we teach um, as something accessible, which you referenced, making tools accessible to individuals so that they don't have to go above and beyond or go to some other country in order to be able to access things that make them well. But when we talk about breath work in our sickle cell mental health and wellness initiative, I always say, pay attention to the pause because it's the pause between the inhale and the exhale where the magic really happens. Mm-hmm. It's the pause that you have stillness and then you can get that message that is coming from within that was trying to come out all this time, but because your brain was so full with chatter, okay, yeah. and revved up, you didn't hear the, 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 the signal or the message that was right there. So the pause, that's number one. Number Ooh. two, the accessibility healing that can happen with a partner. 
with someone, as you said, who walks by your side through it is not going to be what you get on an app. People, I mean, I, I like to tell people all the time, I'm like, there are some things that, yes, you can look at a YouTube video and do. Yes, you can mimic your own version, but there are certain healing fundamentals that were designed to be given in partnership that when that relationship does not exist, because that person is one uniquely trained and can be objective in that relationship with you to point out so many things that when you don't have that, there is no Android or social media or Facebook. There's no substitute for that at all. And as you said, as human beings, one of the other tenets for our sickle cell mental health and wellness um, initiative is also connections, that connections and relationships heal us, especially when they're founded and grounded in healing in itself. So everything, I mean, bells are going off in my head. Everything you say, you're say, you saying is resonating. And I hope that our audience is um, receiving all those wonderful messages. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think you're right on. Um, one of the things that came to my mind when you said what you said in terms of connecting, um, it just it goes back to, you know, like being on this earth. We were not created to live alone. We were created to be in relationship with one another. Yeah. And I all the time, no one heals on an island alone. We okay. heal healthy communities with one another. We are um, we are beings that were were created to be in relationship with one another. Yeah. Adam and Eve, we were created to be to in relationship with one another. We cannot exist without it. Agreed. And one of the movies that comes to mind that exemplified that was the one um, uh, what was it called again? Not Outcast, but where um, Tom Hanks was um, on the island by himself and he started talking to the basketball or the, the football, I forget. But the yeah. mental deterioration that they showed mm-hmm. that he experienced just shows you we, we were not built, as you said. Even, and you can have many little trinkets and tools and phones and bells and whistles around you, but you will not be your best whole self without those connections. It's so true. It's oh so my true. goodness. All right, let's let's move on because we could keep going on the one question, but I want to make sure the audience gets a little bit of everything. So um, for their education, of course, I know a lot of uh, different mental health professionals and there are so many different lanes. Can you give our audience an, an idea of the different mental health professionals that they are? Because I'll often get individuals that come to me and say, do you want me to see a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist? I mean, there are so many different ones out there. Can you speak to one or two or three of who of, of those individuals and roles kind of? Yeah. So a psychiatrist, right? I think we all, um, you know, as a mental health therapist, I need a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor, and that medical doctor is the one um, that is most, you know, their concern is uh, healing through um, medicine. You know, you know your Prozac, your Xanax, and I believe that that's also um, a necessary component of healing. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor, and they can write a prescription for, you know, anything that might ail you, you know. Um, a psycho- psychologist 
is one um, that is typically a person that is steeped in tools um, for evaluating. You know, they have a tool for measuring whether or not you do have PTSD. They and they do more of your um, testing. And um, when I read this question, I really thought about like the delivery of services, right? Mm -hmm. Where you see mental health um, professionals. You know, you have uh, <clears throat> um, mental health professionals that are functioning hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, function in schools, they function in private practices. Yeah. Um, and each person plays a different role. A hospital um, mental health professional might be more concerned, might be doing more case management kind of work, you know, making sure that once you leave the hospital, you're going to be able to function, you know, back to somewhat of a normal life. You know, yeah. they're going to make sure that you have all of the things a school um, uh, mental health professional, this professional is more concerned with, you know, how the child is functioning in a social setting with their peers, right? Um, and then, of course, private practice, you know, you'll see a lot. You see families bringing, um, in, coming in together. You see couples coming in. You see individuals coming in for um, help with whatever they are experiencing in terms of a deficit in their daily lives. Um, so I hope that answers your question. I think when I think about mental health professionals, I think about where they're actually delivering those services, you know, whether or not it's in a private setting, whether or not it's in a hospital setting. Um, you even see them in church settings, right? Yeah. Um, so, Oftentimes when I think about that, I think about where they are providing these services. But everyone is uh, most likely wanting that person to get back to some level of normalcy. person has some disruption in life um, and it's disrupted them to the point because we all have disruptions, right? right. But this disruption has caused them not to feel like they can get back on course. So each mental health professional is concerned about helping the individual to get back on course. I love that. And I love that you brought in environments because I know that um, I, um, you know, work, I've worked in the hospitals. I've worked in so many different settings. And actually, my therapist had her office in her home. So okay. there was something nurturing and comforting for me. And I had tried different um, therapist. So I've been to different private offices. I've been to different places in the hospital because, I mean, I realized the need for it. And I can share my aha moment when I realize that if it becomes relevant later in the conversation. But it felt wonderful. And we will reference this moving, um, moving on in some of our questions. She was female. She was African-American. She lived in this historical African-American home. When I went in, I saw artwork that I could relate to. And I felt like I was walking into her living room, though it was her office in there. And it set such a different tone for me than other therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists that I had been to. And her and I had an, a developed a relationship kind of before that actual therapeutic sessions that they started. So that also nurtured me in a different way. So I love that you actually referenced environment because I think that plays a role. And the other thing is that different mental health professionals 
also provide different tools, as you referenced, the psychiatrist can give meds and they might do different tests and all that, but then there are so many ways and so many tools that therapists can use in order to bring someone, quote unquote, back to center. Or like, like I like that in your bio, bring them back to an alignment which, has, which nurtures the mind, the body, and the spirit, because I yeah. think that's what a good match actually, mm-hmm. actually does. All right, awesome. Thank you for sharing that with the audience and kind of making that a little clearer. So what, let's delve into misconceptions. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you've heard, dealt with, are faced with still here? Because I hear a lot um, when it comes to mental health and <laughs> the mental health field. Please do share. I, yeah, but yeah, I think the biggest misconception is, um, and the biggest that causes the most resistance to coming to therapy is a therapist is not going to tell me what to do. And, and I say, well, that you're in the right place <laughs> because I'm not here to tell you what to do. Um, and I think that that's the mig- biggest misconception. And then I think the second misconception is that I don't want to talk about my past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think oftentimes because the past is so painful, I, but then they say, but I want to heal. And I say that you're not going to be able to heal unless you know what it is you need to heal from. And so if talking about what, you know, what happened, you know, yesterday is the thing that is going to get you to your healing, then I, I'm, I'm hoping to create a space. And you brought up environment. I think oftentimes what makes therapy, you know, the, the misconceptions that comes with going to therapy, um, well, before I move, the third is... <laughs> It's a big culture thing. Is say yes. <laughs> it. Yeah, you know, if 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 God can't do it, if God mm. can't fix it, right? Mm. It be you shouldn't be doing it. You, mm. you know that we believe that praying it away, praying our problems away, is going to be the the cure. Um, so I, I probably should, so those are the three. Um, the therapist is not going to tell me what to do. Um, I don't want to talk about my past. And three, if praying is not doing it, then who are you? You know, you're, are you, do you think you're bigger than God? Um, no. and so no, God actually might've sent that therapist your way. But again, that's just, that's just me. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> God, God could have sent you, right? Right. Um, and like I said, I'm a, I'm a talker and I do have a big God story, but we can save that for another time. So those are the misconceptions. One, a therapist is not there to tell you what to do. Me as a therapist, I am not trying to tell anybody what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my goal is to get you to hear yourself so that mm-hmm. you can... And, and because I'm a therapist that uses a board, because mm-hmm. I, in my background, oftentimes when I'm writing- well, that teacher, I love it. Can I just say, we have a board in my house. That board is still up, because now my mother has two nephews and there's another niece on the way. So she's still retired, but the board yeah. is up. The board- <laughs> the teacher, always a teacher. Right, that, that board is a tool that has- yeah. that, uh, 
surpasses what work that I've ever done in a classroom. But so oftentimes I use it just because I want people to see it and want them to be able to discover their own thing. I don't ever want to put words into anybody's mouth. But as you're talking, I'm writing. I'm capturing. I'm capturing what I hear. It might not be verbatim what you have said, but as I have captured it, I'm putting it on the board. And so I'm hoping that in that, that way, it helps you to see things a little Mm -hmm. different. And that is what my goal is. I'm hoping that I can help you to see what you have said just a little bit differently. Um, And then uh, also, uh, you know, the second point, well, the last point of praying, we as a people of color have um, often leaned on our God, our Jesus for our pain, for relieving um, whatever it is that we felt like we could not fix ourselves. We have put it all on the altar for our God. Yes. And it has come to a point, I think we have come to a point in life where we under we we are beginning to see that it's not just about leaving something and thinking that magically poof that these things are going to go away. And what I my my clients are discovering is there's a a work that I have not been able to do because all of my life, I have said, felt that Jesus dying on the cross is, mm-hmm. you know, is it, that's where all of the power is. So, yeah. and I say, if Jesus dying on the cross is where all the power is, then why are you still trying to breathe? And and here's the pause. I'm pausing because I just got chills. I want to just give everybody a minute to take that in because that was so powerful. There's work beyond the cross Yes. that I need someone on this journey to help me to see things differently. Can you um, say that one more time, Michelle? Because you broke up just a little bit. There is work to be done beyond the cross. There's work to be done beyond the cross. And beyond the cross are people who are here willing to walk with me on this journey, right? To help me to see things a little differently. Um, As I am moving through life, as I am traveling, as I am being exposed, I see things a little differently. I hear things a little differently. I taste things a little differently. A hot dog in Chicago is different than a hot dog in New Orleans. A taco in Atlanta is different than a taco in New Mexico. Oh, yes. You better tell them. Right? A mm-hmm. piece in Chicago is different than a pizza in New York. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, man. We definitely don't fold our pizza in Chicago. And we definitely do fold our pizza in New York, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. When I come visit you in Chicago, I won't fold. But when you come to New York with me, we will be folding. I'm going to fold. I share that to say that when I am growing, when I am being exposed differently, then I should be experiencing life differently. Yes. If a person that falls and cuts their knee in the South 
pops up and keep moving. But in the north, every time I fall, I just lay there until, you know, somebody comes pick me up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn the thing. I can just pop up and keep moving. That's right. You know, exposure, uh -huh. I think, is good and it's, it shows growth. But then the other misconception, um, and I did them a little out of order, is that, you know, um, we always, you know, remind us of our pain. Sometimes that's where we need to be in order to go. Yes. You brought up space and place and this nurturing um, space. It, you know, if it's in someone's home or if it's in the comfort of an office mm -hmm. or if it's in a comfort of a school uh, building, whatever makes you comfortable enough to release the thing that you need to do in order to move forward. Yeah. Otherwise, I have to advise you, you're going to be stuck here until this time next year. If mm. you're not going to trust me to help you to move through, shift through that thing that you're holding so tightly onto. All right. You guys can't see me, but I'm snapping. Yes. I'm nodding as she's sharing because everything she, I can feel the words that Michelle is sharing with us. And I hope as an audience, you guys can feel it too. So I wanted to just um, elevate that statement. You said that you are not here to make anyone do anything. And I always think of my therapist as um, it's a journey and they're a facilitator. They help me to see things. And I love that you have people talk through it, feel things, maybe recognize things in a different way that when I'm in my own head, I'm not able to see all that. So it's almost like my therapist is just, she's just pulling it out of me. It's, it, it, she doesn't make me, as you said, I never feel like there's a, there's a make you do anything. And, and that's one of the things that makes it feel right. It's like we're on a journey together and there are these repeated aha moments. And, and she, or if, it's a he for you, if you have a therapist, knows how to help me, the other word you said, grow from where I was to where I'm at now. So um, that's so really, really um touch me there. And I think that is so true. And I hope everyone is just feeding off of those words because they're so important. So with that, let's get to some of the mechanics of this, the logistics. How should one go about, because the journey, I mean, you have to find the person, right? We, we, have, to, we have to be able to find that right crowd. First, there's an awareness. In one breath, you realize, okay, I, I not only need it, I'm ready for it. So when a person gets to that level or that state how should one go about selecting the proper therapist mm -hmm. uh, for me because i have a therapist myself right i wanted what what was important to me was having someone that looked like me and the reason why that was important to me is because i believe that if someone looked like me it is likely it's not always the case not always right yes it's likely that we've had some shared experiences and then they can understand my pain. They understand my journey. What was all, what would, was also important to me is what you said. If, if there were reflections or images in the environment that made me comfortable, right? You know, pictures on the wall, sounds. I am a person that loves water. So if a therapist has water running somewhere, I'm like, this it's a given. I know. I'm one of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things were important. But then I, I, I began to understand that 
I mean, like my very beginning statement, like it was, I felt that it would be likely that that person um, would, would have, we would have some commonality. But what I've learned is people were selecting me that didn't quite look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of, because of this assignment, I explore that. Like, how did you select me, right? So referrals were uh, one thing. And what the people were saying was she helped me to get to, you know, uh, understanding of self. She helped me to move. You know, I trusted her. So then I would say that another thing that people should look for is, do I think that I can trust this person? Does this person have a reputation of of helping people to heal? And so I would add to that, you know, like not only should a person, you know, uh, would I say I need a person with some shared experiences, I believe that people a reputation of what that person has done will be important because if you sit mm-hmm. up the hill and that person ain't looking like me and they passing out million dollars, I'm going to take that million dollars well not okay. that because they are helping me. They are uh, getting me to a place where I am wanting to be in life. Yeah. And also I think what, what would be important is to um, making sure that that person understands the pain that you are nugging at, tugging Mm -hmm. at. If that person has no idea that childbirth is a painful experience and they say, oh, you know, that's just a temporary thing. And although it is temporary, like you just blew off a whole 24 hour, 48 hour, 72 hour labor that I just went through to bring this child to bear. You know, can you identify, can that therapist, although they may not have ever had a child, but do they, do they understand pain? Oh, and I just pause you right there because you said it. I was going to ask you, but you said it. And I want to make sure the audience hears that, mm-hmm. that Michelle specifically said you want someone who can identify with the challenges. And she used childbirth or pain as an example. But that doesn't mean they have had to go through it necessarily, because there is a way to connect and identify and have used their lived experience Mm -hmm. in order to be able to relate Mm -hmm. to what you as an individual is going through. And I think that's so important to grasp and understand and also look for in a relationship. So that was so important to, to, to hear so I just had to make sure I repeated it so that so it landed with the audience. Yeah, thank you. Because sometimes I can run. It is true. Um, and so th- I think all of those things, you know, are very, very important in terms of how do I select. Referrals are great, but um, someone that makes me feel, you know, um, valued, seen, heard is also important. And me personally, I have found people who look like me um, are those people that are likely to, and it's not always the case, I keep Mm -hmm. it, they're likely to have these type shared experiences. I I agree with you. And I've had one or two therapists that did not look like me, but something felt right (laughs) when I was with them or around them, which made um, the relationship work for wherever I was at, at, at that time and that point in my life. Absolutely. Um, Good for you. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we should always, because we also know that there is, there is a shortage of, I'm going to just say qualified therapists, like people who can do this well, because it is not um, an easy uh, task by any means. And, you know, the hardest thing is to tell a person, well, you know, this person is great, but they have a one year waiting list. And some people, you know, if you can't wait a year. So though it, it's wonderful and I and I do feel blessed that I was able to find someone who uh, just I felt so comfortable with and looked like me and all that. Um, there are other options and the fit just needs to be right. And you reference some qualities, you know, are they compassionate? Do you, does it feel right? Um, what other, what other, what other things do you, how do you know, I, I, maybe I'll say, how do you know that the fit is right? Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to test it, but sometimes just that phone interview is enough where you, you can see if you have some type of connection. It's almost like someone putting you, sending you on a blind date, right? And, but you talk to the person first. And on mm -hmm. the phone, like there's some vibe, like this ain't this ain't quite right. Right. So there's a tone that I'm always looking for, right? I hope you know. At a ball game, I might be the loudest of the loud, but in therapy, when I'm when I am experiencing hurt and pain, I don't need you to be loud with me. I need you to be have a voice of compassion and concern because mm -hmm. I don't. You know, the voice of compassion and concern leads me to think that you really care and want to hear and hoping to help me through this thing. So a voice of compassion and concern. Tone is so important. Mm -hmm. um, pacing. He, it, is this person listening to me or are they out talking me? Yes. So um, I am, a, you know, I do like hearing other people's stories. Um, but my, have you given me enough time to get my story out? Yes. I share, can you hear me? Have you give, have, do you have enough patience to hear what I am trying to say? So hearing me, um, uh, listening to me with some compassion, tonality, um, and I say a rhythm. There's a rhythm that yeah. comes with a person that is just there to get to the next client or there's, and there's a rhythm of a person that it doesn't matter how long it takes me to get it out. They want me to get it out. Right. That rhythm is also important. And it's a thing that I have learned, you know, to listen to. It's almost like, walking down the street, the person that gently says good morning to you or that person that said, hey, you know, right. it's right. A, a different rhythm. Yeah. And so all of those things uh, are, those factors are important um, to me when I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, when I was looking for a therapist and my clients have shared with me as a part of this assignment, like, how did you choose me? You know, some people like uh, humor. Yes. And they said, you, you were funny. You said some things that make me laugh mm -hmm. where it, it was funny enough. It, it made me laugh to the point that I realized that what I just said or did was beyond ridiculous. <laughs> right. So we use our laughter, you know, to 
to um, pull out. I agree. I mean, there's a certain energy that you look for. I think everything you just said encompasses that, that if you don't feel that energy, um, then, you know, you're, that little voice inside um, tends to tell you whether it's a good fit or a not fit, a good fit. Now, I know sometimes you, at the beginning, you said sometimes you have to try. And I'm, that is so true because you never know from just from the cover. How many times would you say a person has to try or how many sessions? I mean, we're, we're not going to talk just the first date because sometimes, you know, you like you said, you have a phone call conversation then you might have the first date. It might take another one after that before you know. But how many sessions or tries do you think it takes before you know whether it's right or not right? I would say, um, and I know you, I don't want to contradict what you just said, but after that first session, you'll know whether or not this is going to work. I think that's fair. That's not a contradiction. I was just trying to leave it open because I, I, that's something so personal to me. I, I kind of know at the door, but I wanted to hear what you thought. Yeah. It's so, yeah. And it's, it's almost mutual. I was just, I saw uh, clients this morning and I was sharing with um, a client who just came back. Um, I think she's been gone for about a year. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling her that my biggest concern with her is the fact that she gets all of the ingredients. She knows to go buy the before peach cobbler. She knows to go get butter, flour, um, the flavoring, the peaches. She knows what peaches to get mm-hmm. and, and the butter. And then she's ready to run out the door. And I tell her, I told her today, I said, can you stay long enough to see how I make my peach cobbler mm. before you start putting before you put your peach cobbler in the oven and she'll get all of the ingredients right. and she's like I'm good there's a there's a technique to putting a peach cobbler together right, right. um and that's one asset if you can commit to at least six months because change takes time it takes time please tell them change yes. takes time it takes time Yes, I know that in order for me to run a lap around the track, I need to breathe, I need to pace myself, I need to get a rhythm that is comfortable for me. But if I have a goal of running five miles, one, I need some encouragement. I know how to get around the track. We all know that, right? Yeah. But If I need to do that 20 times, I need some encouragement. I need to have some examples, uh, be reminded of examples of what it took me to get around there 20 times, what it took her to get around there 20 times, what it took him to get around 20 times, and what it is like to stop at mile three. And get a twisted ankle or whatever and what it took to recover and to go back in and do it again. Change is very difficult. Our mind is such, it's like a sponge. As soon as I feel like I got it, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I stop right there. Yeah. But in order for me to make the changes that I need, I can't stop because my brain is used to stopping at mile three. But I need that coach to push me to mile 3.25. Yes. And once I get to 3.5, I believe that I can take my hand off the person's back just enough because now they can see it. 
they're a little further along than they were at zero miles. Now they begin to believe it for themselves because they've exercised their brain. They massage their brain enough to believe that they can do it. And once they get to mile five, they still might need a little coaching, but I don't have to be as close. Right. They can keep pushing on themselves. I love that. I love that analogy with the mind because I, I, well, I love to move and exercise and work out. And that's so true. And so at the beginning of the relationship, how often, since you did space it out, you gave us kind of a timeline. And I believe, um, you know, individuals that have challenges, there's always a place to have a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist, just someone to help counsel you through um, because life has many challenges. So at the beginning of those six months, how often do you think um, those uh, sessions need to be, and then how do you how often how do you space that out? Like how would you say after that time yeah. frame, if you feel like the person now is kind of got it, because you you might not get it at six months. They might still be at mile two point eight five at six months. Um, um, how do you then change the cadence of those sessions? Mm-hmm. And it all depends on the severity. If it's a person that more chronic illnesses. Uh, therapy is going to be something that they're going to need most likely for the rest of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody always reminding me, minding them, you know, of the things that, you know, that keeps them on course, right? And helping them to find new courses to to be on. I believe therapy is about growth. Um, A person with less, you know, with not as severe, and I say chronic illnesses, we're talking about People that might experience schizophrenia, bipolar, those are chronic illnesses, right? Um, and oftentimes those persons are so disconnected from um, family systems um, and, you know, helping them to navigate into new systems of people that are going to be of support to them. And sometimes it's not easy, right? Um, and so that's why I say those people most likely would be in therapy for the rest of their life and for different reasons. It may mm-hmm. not always be for the same reasons, but typically the majority of my clients, they have less severe um, symptoms. Um, and I say six months to a year is the time frame that I say, you know, we start to see change. After 90 days, we're more consistent with that change after about six months. After about six months, you you know, you can tell whether or not, you know, do first, if it's very, you know, if it's in the very beginning, you might want to see your therapist weekly. After about 90, 120 days or so, you might, depending on what the severity um, of your um, issue is, you might want to go down to two months. Mm -hmm. I would say for sure, monthly, you want to check in. Depending, and and it all is kind of hard to give a recipe or some some exact number sort of because it all depends on the individual. It all depends on what their support systems are. And it all depends on, um, you know, what this person has done on their own historically. Absolutely. It is definitely a unique journey. And I love that you wrote mm-hmm. that. There are some, you know, generalizations that you can make, but each relationship is very unique on all onto its own. Mm-hmm. Have you in your practice, since um, I know that you have assisted and helped 
um, individuals living with chronic diseases, and today our, our topic is our chronic disease of the hour is sickle cell disease. Uh, would you say that there are specific challenges to that community, or is just do have what you do is what you seen kind of align aligned with? You know, it's per individual. Or I can see this in another chronic illness, like you said, schizophrenia or something else. Um, it really just has to do with the path of the journey the individual is on. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I've had some sickle cell patients, and one of the things that I have learned, and I learned it through them, right, is that um, oftentimes um, when they come, um, they have experienced um they, they are experiencing some lack of something, some lack of, 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 of self-worth. Um, they fear dying. Um, they fear change. Um, and I tell them that's a very real fear. So the fear of dying, the fear of uh, worth, and the fear of change, those things is almost like a DNA in their in their behavior because mm-hmm. have had some real life challenges where they have had death uh, death uh, uh, threats, right? Yeah. They have had um, you know instances in their lives where they felt less than because yeah. they probably couldn't get up today to do. X, Y, and Z, like what they did the day before. So those experiences for this population was very, very real. Um, and one of the journeys that um, I, and, mo- and most of these, um, most of my clients, they have had this experience since childhood. Yes. And so if you have always had a fear of dying, why do you think at 40 that fear is going to change? Right. If you have always had a feeling of like, oh man, I didn't do this or I failed at this. When does that change? You know, why does that change? Because now magically you turn 40. Exactly. Whatever, you know, the age. Mm-hmm. Whatever the age. Um, right. And so what has been helpful to this population is helping them to understand that as a child, this has been ingrained in my head. This has been a part of my life's journey and my life experience. And then they get to, you know, like some have said, have been told they're not going to live to be, you know, past the age of, you know, whatever, 20, 21. That's right. 18. Yes. Yeah. Now they're 50 and 61 and they were still thinking like, am I dying tomorrow? Because I was mm-hmm. at two, I was going to be, you know. And so having to change that tape in their head about, no, I'm not dying. Yeah, there is a time that I will die. But there are, I don't have to live in constant fear of taking my last breath. And so, again, so helping them to see that this is where this is coming from. And it's not of any fault to parents or anybody else. It's just, it was just what they what the community believed at that time. Mm-hmm. And so helping people to change their mindset and move into spaces where they began to believe for themselves. And it's just like the whole, you know, running that lap. 
around the field. They believe it on a cognitive level, but an emotional level, they begin to fear. So it's just like that coach helping you to get to mile one, mile 1.2, two five, you know, one and a half, seven five, helping you to see that I can move beyond of yes. uh, these things. It's a it's a cognitive change. It's a brain change. It's a mental change. And it does not come without accepting and recognizing that this was ingrained in my thinking and I mm -hmm. have a feeling around it. And if I can't embrace my feeling about it, I'm going to stay stuck. And because I don't want to be stuck, I'm ready to recognize my feelings about it and to change my thinking on it so I can begin to change a behavior about how I move in this world each and every day. Oh my goodness. Okay, you guys, you can't see me, but I just had a session and a moment of enlightenment and did she just, you know, help me through all this head talk and you are so true. Those three buzzwords that you just said, um, it's like a, re a rewiring. When you're born and you've been told certain things and believe, they become beliefs. So yeah. that you need to hear something different uh, in a different way and enough times to have a new belief. And you can have a new belief. You can restructure it. Um, but sometimes you need somebody to facilitate that journey. So uh, I, I definitely agree with you. And um, I, I thank you for the people that you have helped that have sickle cell disease. I mean, I, I thank you for everyone that you've helped because I think everyone, the value of a therapist is so important, but I'm going to champion my community today and right now. So um, thank you for being able to tap into that and see that. Um, one more formal question, then we get to a, a couple of fun things. So what if the relationship doesn't work? How do you go about ending? How should one go about ending that relationship? I mean, it can work. Uh, it, can, it, can end, uh, it can be not working for the therapist and it can be not working for the client. Right. Right. And so communication, you know, I tell my, my friend, my clients all the time. Please do not just not come. Just tell me you don't want to see me no more. Yes. And I say, and it's okay. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. It, because we have difficulty just in general as a people just being um, transparent. We have a difficult a difficulty saying bye. <laughs> the reason why oftentimes we say see you later, you know. Yeah. Um, so what, the signals for me is when clients start missing their appointments, you know, and I'm thinking like first time, you know, people can forget and, right. you know, anybody can forget anything, something. Right. Um, and second time and by the third time I'll say, I, they're probably ready to, you know, to terminate, but they don't know how to tell me the term they want to terminate. Mm -hmm. So the call that I make to them is like, hey, you missed your last three appointments. That's typically, as I shared with you in the beginning, that's typically a signal that you're ready to terminate. Um, and it's okay. You're welcome to come back at any point. Or if you need for me to uh, refer you to another therapist, I will be glad to do it. So I open the door to let them know this is termination. Um, yeah. And it's okay one way or the other. And if you yeah. go to another therapist, I'll be glad to refer you. But if you're okay, you're okay. Just let me know what you need to do. And because I do it in such a non-confrontational way, 
they typically will say, yeah, I'm just kind of, I just keep going in circles and it, it doesn't seem to be helping. And it's like, I get it. Right. Would you like for me to refer you to someone else? Yay or nay. And then, you know, whichever way I, I, I'll do. Um, and then there has been times where I've had to say, you know what? I, I need to terminate because I don't feel like therapeutically this is helping you. Because you know, mm-hmm. I said, start just coming, just talking about any and everything other than, you know. Some and, issues. <laughs> Yeah, and so sometimes I'll say, yep, it looks like this is time for you to find a new therapist. I don't feel that therapeutically I'm helping you anymore. Um, and I feel that you do need some continued therapeutic work. So termination can be, you know, it's like hard, it's, you know, like the song, it's so hard to say goodbye. Sometimes it is difficult for us to say bye. Um mm-hmm. You know, you know, with the language of ghosting, right? Because people yeah. just disappear um, yeah. and, and close, close records. So I love that. And there is always an option if it's not working for you. Like you said, you facilitate maybe finding someone else or in, 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 for the individual, if they feel like it's not right, mm-hmm. that you have to know that you're deserving of the right fit. So it's OK to say, look, this is not working for me. I need to move on to the next, but being able to leave that door open. And I'm the, you know, the same way when I was still um, working as a, a personal trainer and a coach. And even as a, as a physician, I'm like, I always say, if this is not working for you, let me know. I will help you find someone that it does work for because that's where the magic happens. So if we're bumping heads, I can't give you the best care possible. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other tension that happens from that. But to be able to give that up front and, and facilitate that, I think, is so, so important. So thank you for sharing your professional life skills and knowledge with us. Um, whenever I do a podcast, I always like to ask five quick fire questions, which are just fun questions to get to know my interviewee a little bit better and to let the audience know them a little bit better. So these are really easy, but they I think they tell so much about the person. So the first question is, what is your favorite food? My favorite food is ice cream. <laughs> is that a food, Michelle? I don't know. It is. We eat it. We eat it. Ice cream, butter pecan, to be exact. Oh, butter pecan is in this house. For my my husband is a butter pecan lover. Okay, butter pecan it is. I I hear you. Pe- potato, potato, pecan, pecan, pecan. It depends on where you're from. It's all the same. It tastes good. Um, yeah. Second question: What is your favorite song? Oh, I am a um, Natalie Cole uh, uh, person, okay. lover. Uh, when I was 16, uh, my boyfriend bought me in, uh, that uh, album, Inseparable. Mm-hmm. Inseparable is my favorite song. Oh, I love it. I was so in love. Love it. Love it. Okay. Favorite thing to do for self-care? People watch. Really? From I, where? Where are you watching them from? Are you in the mall? Are you in the airport? We're watching. Look, since the pandemic, I've been sitting outside in parks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I am a people watcher, and I'm likely, I could be sitting in um, uh, a park. I used to sit in malls, but mostly you'll find me sitting in park. 
when I was in Chicago, I used to spend a lot of time in Millennial Park, just watching okay. people. That was just so much fun for me. I love it. I love it. Favorite TV show? So, although she's not on, Oprah was my favorite television show. Okay. Um, and, uh, but other than that, I'm not a big television person, um, but uh, if Oprah was on, I probably would be watching her still. Same thing that she, you know, she still does some stuff offline and she still goes to states and does talks and stuff. Cause yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely on that, on that train too with you. Last fun question. Favorite color? Pink. Oh, you're a pink girl too. I love it. All right. Pink. Yay. Pink. Now yeah. on your bio, there is a quote. Um, and I usually give a quote and ask people to tell me what it means to them, but I'd love for you to share the quote that you have at the bottom, that's why I didn't read it, because I knew it was there. Share the one that's at the bottom of your bio, and, and why is that important to you? What's at the bottom of my bio? So the uh, one that's at the bottom of your bio is, when you heal yourself, you heal the world, by oh, Young Pueblo. I oh, love that quote. Yeah. In fact, one of my clients introduced me to this young man, Young Pablo. Um, when you heal yourself, you heal the world. I believe well people generate wellness, sick people generate illness. Um, and so when I am healing- Okay, my pause. You know what my tagline is? When sick people are around well people, they want to be well. And I when well people are around sick people, they want to stay well. Okay, you and I are kindred spirits, so we're definitely going to, you know, that's three dates now we got to have. we got to have a peach cobbler date, we got a pizza date, and now we're just quotables. We, we're on. We're going to do this. Go ahead. I love going. it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So, yeah, I believe that um, that because of the world that we live in, and I spent some time last night um, instead of doing some reading, I was watching someone has put together, I don't know if it was a documentary, but um, what's happening in Ukraine. And it just brought me to tears just to think that there's this kind of evil. And so it's not just happening in Ukraine, although Ukraine has its own unique kind of a hatred and pain that's going on in their country. But here in the U.S., we're dealing with a different level of hatred and pain. And so, you know, like if I can do, if I can do anything to contribute to, contribute to, um, someone's wellness, then I can't do it until I do it for myself. I agree and love that. And in parting, in leaving our audience, do you have any final message that you'd like to leave them with? Well, one, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your community. Um, but two, uh, what I would say uh, for people who are moving um, in life through pain. Align yourself with people that hear you, see you, and are willing to walk with you. Mm. One of my poems is, can you sit through the, what I want is to know if you can sit through the pain with me. You don't have to do anything magical, but what, can you be in that space with me? Then I know that you're a keeper. I'm going to have to send you that, that poem. I said, girl, mm, okay. Mm. Now, I know how to get in touch with you. Thank goodness you were saved on my phone because I'm going to be calling you. But if people would like to reach out, check you out, send you a message, how can they do that? 
So believe it or not, I am not that social media person. And I have taken down most of my social media stuff as it relates to um, the work that I do. Um, but there's a phone number always. Um, my number is 404-860-7936. And that's 404-860-7936. Oh, my goodness. Michelle Berry, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for You're your time. Welcome your expertise, your knowledge. And you guys, she has one more line on her bio. It says, I am here for you. I am you are not alone on this journey called healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, I, I, she, she resonates it. She shines it, you guys. So if you have a chance, give her a call or listen to this podcast over and over again, because in and itself, it in itself is so healing. Thank you for being with us. For our self care is health care vitamin SC3 podcast during the I, month of September. I love it. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. We hope that you will leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, a new episode is coming out next Monday. So please tune in and enjoy.